So, hey, uh, first off, just before we get into our text this morning, I just want to thank you so much. Um, and I want to thank the worship team for leading us into just an awesome time of worship. And uh, just for us to be able to come into this space, uh, this cafeteria in, in De Quincey, Louisiana, and just praise God and just lift up his name. And, uh, you know, we don't need uh, much to be able to do that. Really, we have more than we even need to worship God right now. But uh, I am thankful that we can come and we can sit and stand and worship and hear his word. And uh, I, I pray that we would not take that for granted this morning as we get into what God has for us. And I just thank you for being here. Like Sean said, man, you could be a lot of different places doing a lot of different things on spring break, break weekend for most of us. And, um, you know, you chose to be here. You chose to be in God's house this morning in this cafeteria. The Bible tells us where two more are gathered. There he is among them. And so we, he is here with us, and we are worshiping a present living God as we celebrated last week in Easter that our God is not dead. He is risen. He is walking. He is among us. He is inside us, empowering us and motivating us. And, and really, that's what this whole study has been about. And then if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to finish up chapter 5, leading us into chapter 6. But this whole study in a book, the book of Ephesians has been Paul communicating to people, communicating who they are in Christ and what that means. Understanding what we believe and allowing that to inform how we behave as Christians and how, how we should feel empowered, how we should feel encouraged, how we should feel uh, challenged and even convicted at times to step forward and to move forward in our relationship with the Lord and what He has for us. And that if we're not walking in the victory of Christ, then we're not walking in the life that He's given to us. Because he has laid that before us as we've seen through text. He is calling, he is summoning his people around this idea that in Jesus Christ, death is conquered, sin is defeated, the enemy has no power against you, as we talked about last week, because he's erased that. He's erased our shame, he's erased our guilt, he's erased the debt of the penalty of sin against us. And he's called us to something bigger. And so this morning, you know, when, when you preach, kind of how we've decided to do in this book, as you preach through uh, a book, you kind of hit many different topics. And so this morning, specifically what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about the Christian marriage. Okay? And the title, we kind of titled this The Vows of Christian Marriage. And uh, I just want to read this verse uh, to kind of set the groundwork for what we're getting into this morning. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is kind of the pivot point between the first three chapters of Ephesians leading to the last three chapters of Ephesians when it talks about how we behave as believers, how we walk as believers. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So these verses really and truly lay the groundwork for where we're going this morning. Um, because, you know, the thing about God is that God always works the plan for an abundant life experience and sanctifying work in our lives by laying out a plan. Okay, if you really think about it, nothing in our lives functions without some type of plan or some type of framework, all right? Before you build a house, you have to set the pad, you set the foundation, you build, you build, start building it up from there. You know, you think about uh, 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 some type of race, horse races, uh, uh, NASCAR races, uh, or football, baseball, they all work within this field where there's lines and there's, there's boundaries, right? 
And uh, you think about uh, the water lines in your home. They start somewhere, they get to another place because they have this boundary, this framework to work in. It gets them from one point to the other. Uh, you think about electricity. It runs through wires, getting it from one point to the other. You think about our homes that we live in. That we live in these homes, and living in these homes keeps us safe. Living in these homes allows us a framework to raise our families in, to cultivate learning in, to do all these things in. And in some ways, from perspective, you can look at that as being, uh, being kind of confided to a place or being confined into a location, right? But we know that in those circumstances, those frameworks are necessary to move us from one point to the other. And God does not work in much different of a way. As he lays out for us here, as we'll read the book in the book of Ephesians, uh, he lays out this framework for marriage for us and how this functions in, in this capacity that, and, and to see that as we talk about it. You know, and, and we're not going to get into it so much here. And this, there's a lot that we really could have covered and talked about as we talk about Christian marriage or gender or whatever those things are. But specifically this morning, uh, for us to see that God lays a framework for marriage and in that God is not, God is not holding us back, but he's setting us up. That anything God sets before us, anything God sets around us, it's meant to get us from one point to the other. And we know that as Christians, that point is from looking less like Jesus to looking more like Jesus. And so when God puts these frameworks around us in, in whatever capacity that is, it's because he's trying to move us and motivate us and mold us into the image of Christ, into the, into the original image that God intended for us to be and in fellowship with him. And so God lays his commandments, God lays his frameworks to work in us. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so this morning we're going to see God's instruction and God's structure for marriage. And when I talk about marriage, specifically this morning we're going to be speaking kind of about the idea of, of the vows of marriage or the covenant of marriage. And so, if, you know, when you think back, uh, if, if you're married here this morning, and, and I'm going to get to, to the single part of this in just a second, because I feel like every time you talk about marriage you really need to touch on singleness and what that means also. But for marriage, um, you know, when you say your vows in, in that uh, the, the word vows is actually defined as to have, uh, to, uh, this idea of promise or assertion. A person is, is, is to an, about being bound to an act, a service or a condition. Okay, this is, and so for us in marriage, when you say your vows, you are stating your intentions, right? And you think about those things back. And, and we've been married for 12 years now. 12, right? I, I knew it was 12. I'm, not, I'm just checking because I knew she would give me a look if I was wrong. But I knew, I knew it was 12, so don't, don't worry about it. But so for 12 years we've been married. And so thinking back to the moment when you're saying vows, you know, we, just, we, we, we know that that's just what you do, right? You just say these things to have and to hold, uh, you know, to, uh, for better or worse, sicker or poorer. But I don't think in those moments we really wrap our mind around what we're truly saying. You know, what, what is this covenant that I'm making with this individual that I'm entering into life with? You know, what, what is truly going on in this? And so for, for me in my marriage, you know, being married for 12 years, uh, no one told me what, how to do marriage. You know, I think everybody just acted like, you know, you get married and you just kind of go and it's like, but how do you do it? Like, what does that look like? Like, and, and honestly, just in some, some realism from, from my end, I, I was a terrible husband for many years of our marriage. 
Um, and, and, you know, for me trying to figure out what that looks like moving forward and, and, and the, the, the selfishness and, and the, the mind state that, that I was in in my sin and just the things that we struggle with just as individuals and our pride and different things that we bring into those circles. You know, how do you navigate that? How do you uh, move through that? You know, and I believe in what we'll see here this morning is that God lays out a plan for us, a structure for us to work within to show us how we how we move in this process, how we experience marriage. And so just really quick, just as we kind of talk about this, I always feel like we need to speak a little bit on, on, on being single even, you know, and that for us to understand, and, and if you're single here today, that, that, to, that marriage is not the pinnacle of the Christian life. Like we have to understand that just, you know, just because we speak about marriage here, just because marriage is, is a sacrament, something that God calls us into, that, that marriage is no different than singleness in a sense of that God is still moving a Christian to the same destination and that marriage does not get you there any faster than being single does. You know, and, and single, maybe you're single by circumstance or choice is not a lesser calling. And that Paul himself was single. You know, when we see Paul speak about this in the Bible, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 8, he says, I wish that all of you were as, as I myself am, speaking of being single, as you would see later on in those verses. But he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. So he speaks of singleness even being able to be a gift. And now it's going to have its own struggles and difficulties, as Paul would talk about later in those verses. But he says it doesn't mean that your calling is any less than someone who is married. And so as we kind of move towards marriage and really talk about that, because that's where our text is this morning, I just want to make that really clear, that God still has a calling for an individual. And as even from a single mindset, you can see how this, this what we'll talk about this morning, plays into our relationships with maybe it's just our relationship to the Lord or it's our relationship with those around us, our family, whatever it may have you. These principles can still apply in all of those ways. And so... You know, for me, as, as, I'm, as we were married and, and kind of navigated that marriage process, like, you know, you, there's a lot of things that bring you together as a couple, right? You know, whether it's attraction or, or whatever it might be, uh, or, or feelings, you know, infatuations, like all these things kind of bring you together. But then what I've grown to realize, and as we've moved through our marriage, is that the thing that holds that together is much more than that is much more than infatuation, much more than attraction. Not that my wife isn't a beautiful person. But I can tell you, I'm not the same person that I was when we got married. You know, and I don't, I'm not near as athletic, not near as fit, uh, not near as, uh, not near as uh, just non-clumsy. I mean, my wife tells me all the time I'm like a tornado. Uh, and I'm, I'm much more nerdy than I was then. I think I was just a closet nerd then, and now I've just exposed myself, and she's just learned to accept it. But, uh, but you know, and then even thinking about just, you know, I'm not just raking in the dough. You know, I've, I've chosen to follow the life of, a, of, of ministry, which isn't the gla most glamorous thing to do in the world, and it's stressful and it's tough. And so sometimes I think to myself, I wonder if my wife really knew what she was signing up for. But to understand the, the framework at which God lays out for Christian life, all of these things being put together for the sanctification and the molding of both of these individuals in a marriage is far deeper than feelings. And I love that C.S. Lewis said this. He said, knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last, but feelings come and go. And so as we move into this, we're going to get into our text and we're going to start with, with the wife moving into the husband and see how God speaks to us into those things and how Paul instructs us on the vows of a Christian marriage, what it means to lean in in Christian marriage. All right, starting in verse 22. 
of Ephesians 5. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and, his, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should submit in everything to their husbands. So, Anytime we hear the word submission, I feel like a lot of times, even from a female perspective, there's always that, that kind of tense up, right? There's always that apprehension, like, like what does that even mean? Like, there's always a negative connotation to submission, uh, because a lot of times when we think of submission, we think of weakness. You know, we think of weakness. But in reality, biblical submission is the absolute opposite of weakness, Okay, because all throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about submission in different ways and to different, different places and different people. Uh, James chapter 4, 7 calls us all to submit to God. Romans 13 calls us to submit to political authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says, calls us to submit to an overseer or a pastor. Ephesians 5.21 calls all, all of us collectively to submit to each other. And then Luke 22, verse 27, Christ even talks about being in submission to us. And so, and so as we see that, as you hear of those situations where there's submission, I hope you begin to understand what submission looks like. And that submission is not weakness. If submission is anything, submission is meekness. And I, you remember we've talked about meekness before, meekness being power or ability under control. And I think you'll see that play out as we kind of see uh, the, the, the vows of a Christian wife, what that looks like. But you know, God calls us to this mindset, and specifically in the roles of a Christian marriage, the wife to this attitude or this uh, mindset of submission. But first off, we have to see that here in verse 22, he says, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That a Christian wife's submission to her husband first starts with her submission to the Lord. That a Christian wife's submission to her husband starts first and foremost with her submission to the Lord. And that your relationship to God and, and in Christ Jesus is number one. Second thing, obviously, is the submission to her husband. And this submission is a voluntary submission. When it talks about uh, to submit to your husbands as, as the church submits to Christ, when we submit to Christ in salvation, when we submit to Christ uh, our lives, surrender ourselves, these things are, this is what we choose, right? I know Brother Garen has said it several times that Christ is the perfect gentleman. Like he's not going to come into your life and say that you have to be saved or you have to be a Christian or you have to be a believer. He lays that before us and then we take hold of it. And so it's the same way at which God lays submission to the husband before the wife is that this is a voluntary submission. And so what we have to understand and, and, and wives, what I hope that you can understand uh, first off is what submission isn't. Okay. Submission, submission is not inferiority. That you as the Christian wife are not inferior to your husband in submission. You are not less valuable. You are not less useful. It is not inferiority and it is not dominance of the man. That you are not weaker in submission. That you are not weaker in submission. And also it is not unconditional obedience. This is not a call to mindless obedience of your husband. Especially if what your husband is telling you to do is drawing you into sin. 
You know, it's the same way with, you know, when we're called in submission to the political government. We do not have to give in to something that is calling us to sin. We do not have to sin. You do not have to follow something mindlessly or blindly. And so what he's calling, what, what Paul is telling the Christian wife here is to submit to your own husbands. He's calling us to focus, calling you to focus in, to focus your attention, focus your submission to one person, one man that you give yourself to. As Christ did for us, as we do to God, as we do for each other, we are giving of ourselves. And so for the Christian wife, he's saying, submit in giving of yourself. And this is not disregarding your gifts. This is not disregarding the abilities that you have to speak into the family or into your husband's life. Because the Bible actually tells us that the wife can be a strong influencer and sanctifier in the man's life. 1 Peter 3.1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even... If some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. So Christian wives, maybe you have a husband that is not walking according to the word, that is not living according to that word. The Bible tells us here that your life, your submission to Christ and your obedience to your life in Christ in submission to your husband can be a sanctifier in his life. It can be something that changes and molds him. I'm thankful, you know, just thinking about our lives. And I, I, I accepted Christ in October of 2009. Me and my wife had been married for three years. You know, and, and I think back to the struggle that I put her through in those, not only in those first three years of not being a believer and really, really pushing that away or really keeping church and God at arm's distance, and, and, and just knowing, even in conversation with her now, like the prayer that she poured out for me constantly, the heartbreak that she felt because I wasn't being the spiritual leader that, that God had called me to be, that I wasn't being in, even in attendance or present with them in those moments, that to see her response and just know that I, I'm so thankful for that I never drug her down to my level. That she constantly held the standard. She was constantly, she'd get our kids up, bring them to church. We lived in Lake Charles at the time. I'd sleep in. They would drive in by themselves. They would come to church, do those things. Then there was a time when we were going to two different denominations at the same time. And, and I would just do one and do the other. And so it was, I know she was probably thankful for at least that step. Until that moment in October of 2009 when God just really grabbed a hold of my heart and said, What are you doing? You're being an idiot. And you're not being the dad, the father, the husband that I've called you to be. And so God just started working those things out. And I'm thankful for my wife's perseverance and her prayer for me in that time. And for you, maybe in your life, as you think about that, you know, maybe you found frustrations with your husband. And, and maybe you think to yourself, as we talk about the word submission, you think there's no way I can submit. There's no way I can give myself to him or follow him because he's not following the Lord. Well, the Bible tells us that's why our first submission is to the Lord. That's why our first submission is there. And through your conduct, the Lord can speak through your life. Ephesians 5.33, it says, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let the, let, the, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Because listen, I, I don't know if you've read this before or not, but you know, the, the Bible actually says that it's better for a man to be dead and thirsty in the desert than to be in the, under the roof of a nagging wife. 
I'm not making that up. The scripture says that. He says it's better to be in the crawl space of a roof of an attic than to be with a nagging wife. And so what I say in that is, is that in your submission to your husband, don't think that that's silence. Don't think that that's silence. But if you are constantly berating your husband, tearing them down, uh, uh, just, just really tearing at, deconstructing them aggressively on their weaknesses, belittling them uh, uh, on where they fall short. Listen, you may get conformity, but that's not transformation. The Spirit of God is who transforms. Our, our burdens on each other is what brings conformity, and conformity will not last transformation is what lasts. And that's what God calls us to. Listen, the thing for the Christian wife is you don't have to feel the burden of being the Holy Spirit for your husband. You can speak to him. You can voice your concerns. You can have conversation. And and most of all, you live out your Christian life even in submission to elevating him as the authority and the head of the household. That does not take away how you can influence him and how you can influence your family. Because it is not your responsibility to be the Holy Spirit. And it is not a call for you to be silent, but to approach in a helpful, edifying way. And to prayerfully ask the Spirit of God to engage, to be gracious and gentle and make your requests known. I pray that as a Christian wife, if your husband is not that one walking according to that word, as it would say, that you would allow your conduct, you would allow your prayer, you would allow your heart to just overflow for your husband and to not give up and to not allow our emotions to, to, to turn us to tearing down, but maybe looking into their lives and looking into their hearts and seeing how you can build them up. Help them see their gifts. Help them see their talents. Help them see the things. So be the woman that God is calling you to be, and God will reach him through your godliness. You know, because the reality is, if you've been around church enough, you you know that it is much more likely that a wife will show up at church before the husband does, right? That, that, that it just, women tend to be more involved than men do for some reason. And honestly, if we step back, we can see these things. Uh, the Gospel Coalition did some statistics, and they said that Christian women are 72%, uh, 72% of Christian women say religion is very important in their lives compared to the 62% of Christian men. That doesn't seem like much, but 10% is a wide margin. That 74% of Christian women say they pray at least daily compared to the 60% of men. Christian women say that they pray at least once monthly. 94% say this, and that, com- uh, that only compared to 86% of men say they pray monthly. And that while half of Christian women say they go to church at least once a week, only 44% of men say the same. And honestly, this is probably more a result of a... Of a, a, a toxic masculinity culture where men, you know, because really to, to, to submit yourself to Christ as a man... You have to recognize your weakness. And for men, we don't like to recognize our weakness. We don't like to recognize where we're in need. And so sometimes, men, we tend to be a little more hard-headed. We're a little more stubborn, a little more thick-skulled. And so it takes some time of the Lord really wearing on us and working on us. And the beauty is, is that the Christian wife, you play a part in that process. It doesn't justify it, but you get an opportunity to play a part in that process. And we see it from the very beginning. You want to see God's construct for Christian marriage? You can see it in Genesis chapter 2, starting there. He says here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, he says, Then the Lord God said, after he had said everything was good, 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 he said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. 
to make him a helper. And so when you think helper, I hope that you're not thinking um, kid caretaker, sandwich maker, house cleaner. That is not what he is saying there. This word helper is actually the exact same word used in the Old Testament several times to describe God as our help. So what this is speaking of more than just, uh, just some servant for the man is it's speaking of a wife that is filling a need, that is filling a gap that the husband has, that he has weakness that the wife can help him in, that he has places where he struggles that the wife can help him in. The same way in, in uh, Psalm 121, as David says, my help comes from the Lord. That help is the same word that it says that the Christian wife is a helper to the husband. In Psalm 63, it says, Because you have been my help. Talking about God, this is the same word used for the Christian wife. The wife feels a piece of the husband that he desperately needs. And we know that because how did God create woman? He took a piece of man to do that, right? He took a piece of man to make woman. You know, and when you think about what, you know, the Bible says it took a rib from him. And, you know, for, for what the rib does is the rib offers some protection, right? The rib offers some support. If I didn't have ribs right now, I'd just be all concaved even more so than I am. and just all weirdly disfigured. The ribs offer that for us, you know. And, and, I, and Matthew Henry says this. I love this quote. It says, the woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. I love that. Under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Which leads us into the Christian husband. You know, Paul spent two verses, three verses, talking to Christian women. And the whole rest of this chapter, talking to men. And like I said earlier, I, I believe it's because, men, we just don't catch on quite as quick. We're a little more stubborn, we're a little more hard-headed, and we don't like to recognize where we need help. And so then he speaks to us, Christian husbands, or men, here this morning. And this is what he says, starting in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so you see that God is speaking into the Christian husband's life to, to really walk in this headship. And so what we need to understand about headship, being the head of something, the head is the source or the authority. And so when we think about that source or authority, from a Christian husband perspective, I want you to hear this, that God is not saying that the, uh, that, that the husband's headship and authority is, his is, is a license to do what he wants to do, but it is his empowerment to do what he ought to do. The husband's responsibility as the head 
isn't a license to do what he wants to do. It's empowerment to do what he ought to do. To do what he ought to do. And I love that he uses the imagery of Christ here. Christ to the church. You know, when you think if we want to compare these two and we see submission and we, we, we get a little afraid of the word submission and the Christian wife called to submit under the authority of her husband. And we see the standard at which God has set for the Christian husband when he says, give yourself as Christ gave himself for the church. I mean, what did Christ do for his church? He died for us. He died for his church. Verse 25 says, Love as Christ loved the church, gave himself that he might sanctify her. God has called the Christian husband to lead, be a spiritual headship, and have a sacred responsibility as a servant. That you would see your marriage husbands through the eyes of a covenant and not a consumption. Okay, that when we see our relationships as husbands and wives through the eyes of consumerism, then self is at the heart of our marriage. That we see the individual as supreme and that we are driven by feelings and passion that has no room for duty or promises. That I do what I want to do. I do what makes me happy. I do what elevates me, that I'm supreme. The individual's supreme, but covenant marriage calls us to something where it's not you adjust to me, but it's we adjust to him. That we collectively, as one flesh, as one unit, we adjust to God. And I'm not flexing authority to belittle you, but we are bringing each other in to this obedience to God. That we live in a day and age, church, where the individual is ultimate, right? We live in a day and age where what I want supersedes anything anyone else needs. And as we've read through Scripture, that is what God is pulling our eyes away from. Stop worrying about yourself and start looking outside of yourself to love people, to encourage people, to provide for people, to encourage uh, each other. And so what you want is what you must have. The ultimate freedom and happiness can only be found in your individual desires being fulfilled. And in your individual desires being fulfilled, what this does is for a wife, it pushes away submission. And for a husband, it neglects considerate love. You know, and this love that God calls us to is the love that we've talked extensively about, this agape love, this purposeful, intentional, passionate love for an individual. And 1 Corinthians 3, 5 tells us that this love does not insist its own way. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, God gives man a crown to wear in marriage, but it is primarily made of paper, just a roll, and thorns for sacrifice. Christian husbands, God has called us to sacrifice. God has called us to give of ourselves to our wives. God has called us to lay ourselves before them, to, to love them and nourish them and cherish them. And verse 29 tells us this. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Your wife is not your servant. She is your co-heir of the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us as husbands to show our wives honor, showing honor since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Because our wives are valuable. They have purpose and they have intentions that we as Christian husbands have the responsibility to cultivate. 
Psalm 128.3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your, your children will be like an olive, olive shoots around your table. He calls us to sanctify, to mold, to make into the image of God. To sanctify our wives, to cultivate her, and to lead and cultivate our children also. And so in conclusion, you know, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Why do we need this framework? Because God has intentions with individuals who enter into the covenant of marriage together. Just like He does for singles who enter into the covenant relationship between Christ and an individual for salvation and the sanctification of their lives. That the goal of Christian marriage is sanctification by participation in our roles and passionately submitting to Christ as individuals. Christian marriage is a gospel reenactment. That's why God, that's why Paul uses this illustration to talk about marriage, Christ, and his church, because he allows the Christian marriage to be a reenactment of the gospel. And what it does is it reminds, it, it reveals to us submission, it reveals to us love, and it reveals to us leadership, because that's what Christ did for us as individuals. He gave of himself willingly for us. Okay, he gave of himself willingly for us. He provided for us, he loves us, he protects us. And He leads us into the life He has for us. He has given that to us. And so in the Christian marriage, we see this reenacted. For the individuals, we're reminded of Christ. And we can see grace and mercy and love and concern and compassion and nourishment play out in how a husband and wife deal with each other. And then also, as importantly, the Christian marriage is an image of the gospel to the kids that we raise. It reveals to our kids who God is. It's a reflection of the gospel. It shows them the type of people that they need to be searching for in their life or the type of people that they don't need to be searching for in their life. It shows them the gospel and how we function in our marriage. And, and in knowing that is that a marriage, just like a Christian, in light of the gospel is not perfect, a marriage is not perfect. My kids know that I'm not perfect. My kids know that, that mommy and daddy have things that they struggle through and work through like anybody else does. And I would never want to paint a picture to my kids that, that marriage is never a struggle. Because I tell everybody that I've ever had the great opportunity to sit and talk with or counsel through marriage uh, issues is that anything worth having is worth the struggle. Anything worth having is worth the struggle. And this, this, this bond, this covenant that we enter into, it's worth it. And so the way you function in your marriage not only shows them how a marriage functions, but it reveals the nature of God and the gospel to His people. So how do I do this? How do I do this as an individual? How do I step into this as a, a, a wife, a husband, or maybe a future wife or future husband for a single? Or, or maybe just taking this into consideration as a single, that maybe the call is to be single, that, that you would see how that plays into your relationship between you and the Lord or you and your relationship between other individuals. But specifically for the Christian husband and wife, we have to understand that the biggest enemy of a Christian marriage is silence and selfishness. Silence and selfishness. And Genesis 2.25 shows us the cure for that. Genesis 2.25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so when we think about that, I don't want to so much focus on the physicality of it, but more of the spiritual idea of that vulnerability and that honesty before each other to not hide anything. That you're able to communicate. That you're able to lay it all out there. That a Christian marriage has to be built on that type of communication 
that type of honesty and that type of selflessness. And so for the wife, prayerfully consider how you can encourage your husband in his walk with the Lord and his role as the headship of your family. And how you can complete your husband and help them see their gifts and their calling. And most of all, allow your submission to Christ saturate your life. That as a Christian wife, you would allow your submission to Christ saturate your life. And so for the Christian husband, that you would accept the call of biblical headship and humility with humility and grace. That this is not an opportunity to elevate yourself to some uh, power trip, but this is to understand that in equality with the sacrifice of Christ, that is what we're called to in the Christian marriage of submitting ourselves, sacrificing ourselves, giving of ourselves, and three different things in love, sacrifice, and sanctification. That that's what we do for our wife in that role. That you would love your wife, that you consider her, that you romance her, that you compete for her. I don't want anything in this world to love my wife more than I do, and I don't want her to love anything more than me. Compete for her. You know, we, 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 we work really hard in the beginning, and then sometimes as, as time and life goes on, we kind of let up a little bit. Man, my challenge is compete for her. Romance her. Consider her. Become a student of your wife. The second thing is sacrificially give to her. Protect her, provide for her, serve her spiritually, emotionally, however that looks. That you would sacrificially give to her. And the last thing would be sanctify her. Sanctify her. Empower her, cultivate her, and encourage her. That there's no, that that, that that is the greatest thing that we can do for any individual in our life is to do these things. Even outside of a marriage, to, to empower other believers in this way, to love other believers, to give to other believers, to sanctify other believers, but then specifically in the Christian marriage. To love for the husbands, to love, sacrificially give, and sanctify her. And allow Christ to lead you towards your wife. So I just want to ask you to bow your heads as we finish up this morning. And, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. And, and uh, with your eyes closed, heads bowed, I just pray that you consider these things. Like I said, don't feel like that anytime we read Scripture that maybe you don't fall into the category of, of Christian husband or wife. That you don't see how the benefits of this passage of Scripture, just see not only how we can function in our, our, our relationships, but even in our submission, our relationship to the Lord but then specifically in Christian marriage, that we would be challenged as husbands to love, to sacrificially give, and to sanctify our wives, and as Christian wives to prayerfully consider and encourage your husbands, help them realize their gifts, live out a godly Christian relationship in front of them to sanctify them by the way you live your life. And in all that being motivated and encouraged at the ground level by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us, that he gave of himself, single or married, Christ gave himself for you, laid down his life out of love, despite our sin, 
despite our shame, bearing all those things for us, he gave of himself for us to give us an example of, of how we deal with each other, how we love and encourage sinful man around us, how we motivate each other, how we love each other, how we sanctify each other, how we sacrificially give to each other. Christ has done that for you. And so I pray this morning that you would recognize first off that Christ gave himself for you. Christ submitted himself to you when he could have turned his back, and he didn't. Sacrificed himself for us, for our good. And so for the Christian husband or wife, I pray that, that, that no part of you leaves this morning with shame, but I pray this morning that you leave with a framework, that you leave with encouragement, that you leave with a source, a rallying point to go back to in Scripture, that you know what, you won't be perfect, and that more times than not, you'll fall short. But that our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of Christ-likeness is not given up because we're not perfect. Remember, we are imperfect people seeking a perfect God. And that we would just give ourselves over to Him and allow that to lead us to our spouses and how we deal with them. So I want to pray for you this morning and it will be done. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, Lord, even though I don't have all the experience in the world for, for speaking on this type of topic, God, that we have your word. Even like Paul, being able to speak on marriage, even though he was single, God, that we just allow your word to be the framework at which we, we deal with any relationship in our life, but specifically, God, for our Christian husbands and Christian wives as we lean in to our relationships, God, that we submit ourselves to you and allow our submission to you to lead us into our relationships with our wives in concern and love and compassion for them. God, because you gave yourself for us. You gave yourself for me when I was rotten and sinful, buried in my shame and guilt. You offered grace to me when I didn't deserve it or earn it. And you poured out mercy and you tell us in your word that that mercy is new every day. God, and I'm thankful for that. Because I, I, I will not always be the husband you call me to be. I will not always be the father you called me to be. I will not always be the pastor you've called me to be, the friend you've called me to be. But Lord, I thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, I pray that you would empower Christian marriages here this morning to be reenactments and reflections of the gospel and how we deal with each other, how we raise our children, Lord, as, even as an individual, Lord, as singles, with the call of singleness, whether by circumstance or choice, God, that you would use them, empower them to be motivated in the relationships that, that are around them. God, that they would be motivated by the love that you've given, the submission that you've given to them and offered them. God, and most of all, I just pray that for here at Crosspoint Community Church, Lord, that we could be a people people passionately seeking you and intentionally loving those around us. God, I pray that you would just use us, mold us, make us a reflection of your goodness and your gospel and your grace. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.